Today, we're going to be talking about compassionate leadership. Compassionate leadership is where there's a clear focus on building relationships through careful attending to, understanding, empathizing with, and supporting team members. In this episode of the Chief Psychology Officer, we are looking at what it means to be a compassionate leader and why it's important for success. Welcome to this episode of the Chief Psychology Officer with Dr. Amanda Potter, Chartered Psychologist and CEO of Zircon. I'm Christian Lees-Bell. Hello. Hi, Christian. I am once again delighted to be here recording this podcast with you. So thank you for being the host. So this is a reasonably new term, Amanda, I believe. But recently, compassionate leadership is a topic a number of clients are talking to us about. Well, it's a new topic for me, too, because the reason why we're covering it today is because we're building and running a series of compassionate leadership workshops for a client And so I decided to research and write two podcasts, actually, on compassionate leadership and self-compassion to aid my thinking, aid my learning, but also will be able to use these podcasts to support the rollout of those workshops, which is incredibly handy because we're finding that a number of our clients are using these podcasts as pre-work or post-work, depending on the topic. So quite often we find that the podcasts that we are researching and publishing have a very close alignment to what the clients are actually asking for. So what exactly is compassionate leadership? Well, we can take the recent definition by Harvard that compassionate leadership is all about having a really positive intention and having real care and concern for colleagues, both for direct reports and for colleagues. So for me, it's very simply about putting employees first and having more than professional care and concern for employees to make sure that they are healthy, safe and really taking care of their well-being. Okay, so why is it a topic this week? So what we're seeing is our clients are wanting to help managers, help leaders and of course, employees, create stronger connections between people. We know from the psychological safety research that personal connection is a foundation for psychological safety. So knowing each other beyond those professional relationships, actually getting to know one another as human beings, as people, is so key. And compassionate leadership creates the right environment for that to happen. And there is some lovely research showing that leaders who are compassionate improve the level of trust, collaboration, loyalty and engagement of their teams because they create this positive environment. But also those leaders are perceived to be more trustworthy, to be more strong, to be more competent. And it's really interesting, the ones that appear to be more in touch with their emotions and prepared to talk about them and are prepared to talk about the emotions of others and be more open to those conversations, appear to be stronger and more resilient and more composed and reliable. That's really interesting. So when did it start to become a topic of interest in businesses, do you think? So I believe that it's been around for a while. It's been around longer in the research than it has actually been talked about face-to-face with clients. For us, it's really been in the last 12 months that clients have been having a real interest in compassionate leadership. And it makes me think about the research that we did on women in the boardroom and the fact that it was seen to be a strength for men to be compassionate or even if I think about in touch with their emotions and sensitive more than compassionate, actually. Whereas for women to be in touch with their emotions and sensitive, it was seen to be a weakness. Because that research was about five, six years old, I'm actually delighted that compassionate leadership is a topic in organizations. But there is a gender bias around it. 
and the idea that women and men approach self-compassion and compassionate leadership in different ways. And I think it's really important for us to be really clear about what do we mean by self-compassion and what do we mean by compassionate leadership? Because it could be articulated differently for men and women because we have a different approach to self-compassion and compassionate leadership. But actually, there's some skills that we need to learn as leaders, as individuals to be compassionate with ourselves and with others. What are the elements of compassionate leadership? So there are a number of models that look at compassionate leadership, but one of the ones that I was looking at just looked at the traits or characteristics that we would expect to see in compassionate leaders. Things like empathy, accountability, authenticity, presence, dignity, integrity, ownership, those sorts of things are the ones that we are seeing coming up. And there are a number of skills as well around listening, around reflecting, refraining from judging people that are key too. So they're the types of characteristics that we would expect and we would hope to see. The interesting thing is when I look at the research on inspirational leadership that we conducted, they're very similar to the characteristics of an inspirational leader, actually, but they've got the empathy in there as well. So a number of the characteristics I've just talked about are very much inspirational leadership characteristics, but with a big dose of empathy and consideration of others in there too. Working with the NHS um, previously, I heard them use the terms inclusive leadership and compassionate leadership being sometimes used interchangeably. I've also heard those two terms being used interchangeably and I was slightly confused about the two. But what I've kind of worked out now is I think that inclusive leadership is very much about treating everyone the same, no matter what background they're from or their experience or their age or their gender, ethnic origin and so on. Whereas compassionate leadership is about treating everybody in different ways so that everyone is different and everyone gets a unique support and encouragement and help depending on their personal needs. And so I suppose you want both. In some ways, you want to be treated equally and fairly, I would say, but also that you want to be treated in a unique way depending on your requirements and needs. So a bit of both, but they're quite different, actually. And interestingly, they've been used interchangeably, but I think that could be confusing because they're actually quite different. So this sounds like something every company should be striving to do, to be honest. But are there any business benefits of compassionate leadership? And if so, Amanda, what might these be? They're the ones that we would expect to see. So they are psychological safety, job satisfaction and motivation, employee engagement, employee empowerment. So all of those things are impacts of leaders who are compassionate and have empathy and care and consideration. And also there's a relationship with reducing turnover intentions as well. So in other words, leaders who are high on compassion can reduce their employees' intention to leave organisations, which does suggest, therefore, on the other end of the scale, leaders who are directive, authoritative, dogmatic, for example, might increase the level of intention to leave from employees. And anything else? Compassion also was identified to have an impact on well-being and mental health and as a result can reduce the amount of burnout that people experience. And so we know from the research that there are 12 stages to burnout and it isn't until you get to stage eight that we start to see odd or erratic behaviour. And because compassion is about identifying and observing what's happening in other people and then recognizing it and responding to it and calling it out in a positive way, actually, 
what we're able to do with compassionate leadership is we're able to stem the tide of burnout because of that recognition, that acknowledgement of the odd and erratic behavior. There is a link between that ability and preparedness to ask someone if they're okay and to call out the behavior rather than just sweep it under the carpet and ignore it, which it means that the burnout progresses along those different stages up to stage 12. So what are the negative impacts, the consequences of a lack of compassionate leadership? In addition to burnout, of course, there's going to be some of the mental health things that we would expect to see that result in burnout, like the feelings of anxiety, maybe uh, depressed mood, low mood, or general mental health issues at work. But actually, there's more commercial impacts around productivity, absenteeism, turnover. We've already mentioned intention to leave. And interestingly, there's some research by Dr. Kristen Neff, who's the absolute godmother of self-compassion and compassionate leadership. She's done loads of research and written books and on many podcasts. And I really like her thinking and her research. She has shown that there's a relationship between compassionate leadership or a lack of compassionate leadership and stress and looked at the impact of this on errors and decision making really talked about the negative consequences in terms of the ability for someone to own and take accountability for decisions. So really interesting. What happens, Amanda, when leaders have low self-compassion? One of the interesting things when we're thinking about leaders who are low on compassionate leadership is the environment that they create. Because when employees don't feel supported or valued, they gradually start to become disengaged and demotivated, which results in low morale and low job satisfaction, but it creates a negative environment. So it's really about that culture that I was just referring to. The experience and the processes and the experience of work becomes one that it feels like it's unsupportive and even in the worst case scenario, hostile. And so it might be that people don't deal with difficulty in a pragmatic or healthy way. They might be passively aggressive. They might reduce collaboration. And overall, it will create a sense of negativity and blame in the workplace. And I know we did the blame culture podcast, didn't we? And so when leaders are not prepared to engage in difficult situations, have courageous conversations and show empathy and, and understanding what we might see is we might see people struggling to personally talk about things that matter or they're struggling with, which means that they're just never going to deal with things. Things are never going to get put on the table. I see. And is there anything else? There's a piece of research looking at the kind of the long-term impacts of low self-compassion and low compassionate leadership in organizations. And it talks about emotional exhaustion, which totally fits, of course, with burnout. So when we start to feel really depleted, that's that kind of emotional exhaustion. Like, you know, you just feel worn out. That kind of real sense of I've got nothing left to give. How might compassionate leadership help during times of crisis or adversity? Because we've all been through some kind of collective trauma, haven't we, as a result of the pandemic, I guess. So the changes to how we work and, and more recently, the stress of the cost of living crisis and general uncertainty. Well, McKinsey and co have recently written an article about this and they've talked about the fact that leaders are truly key in helping individuals and teams go through a crisis like that. And they were talking about a number of steps that leaders could take in order to be more compassionate. They were talking about creating more space for colleagues and being more aware of them and the situation. 
They talked about being vulnerable and human so that they also show their own emotions. They show up as human beings, not just as managers and leaders. And they make an effort to show consideration, show empathy and compassion and consideration for other people's needs. And so they ask questions, they take time to listen, they connect with colleagues. So I think the key is that compassionate leadership is important at any time, but it's particularly important during times of crisis because in order to create resilience, we need to help people access the more positive emotions that help them to feel strong. If they feel like they're in the fight or flight zone, constantly scanning the environment for adversity and threat, and the manager is also feeling anxious and not considering emotions, what's going to happen is it's going to enhance those feelings of anxiety. That's a huge amount of benefits. There must be a neuroscientific connection for there to be so many positive impacts for how people feel at work, right? There are. And the neuroscience shows that there's some really strong activation of certain brain areas that are linked with happiness when we are showing and experiencing compassion. So the more likely we are to experience and show compassion, the more likely we are to experience happiness, in other words. What's so interesting about the neuroscience is that we are hardwired to recognize and understand when someone is suffering. So we are able to observe and identify through someone's body language, through their facial expressions, through their tone of voice, when they are in distress, when they are struggling in any way. And what this does is it activates the parasympathetic nervous system, which is part of the autonomic nervous system. And in particular, there's something called the ventral vagal nerve, which they have renamed. So one of the physiological psychologists, Stephen Porges, he's renamed this as the nerve of compassion, because what it does is it helps us with the response to that recognition and helps us with the caregiving that we give through asking questions, our tone of voice, our preparedness to listen, our demonstration of empathy, all of the things, of course, which are all about compassion. And what's so interesting is that actually it's a physiological response. It should be a physiological response to distress that we observe in other people, but it can also be learnt, which is interesting. So what happens from a neurobiological and neuroscientific perspective, Amanda? Yeah, absolutely. And we know, again, that the brain has a huge amount of plasticity and that we learn through our actions. Actually, the research shows that if we spend a few minutes each day practicing compassion, both to ourselves and to others, it can impact the neural networks in a positive way so that we start to naturally move towards a compassionate rather than a judgmental or dismissive route. And we will be more responsive to other people's feelings of distress or despair. And as a result, we ourselves will feel happier and more satisfied and more content, which is a great thing. So there is a psychological and neuroscientific basis in having compassionate leaders. Yeah, it really does. And there was some data, which is quite handy, which is that people who show self-compassion are more likely to protect themselves from burnout, which is what we've already established. But leaders who demonstrate compassion with their staff are 2.6 times more likely to be perceived as a positive role model and as a good leader by their employees. So there is a link between psychology and neuroscience, but there's actually a benefit of taking this compassionate leadership approach from an employee perspective as well. Is there a link between compassionate leadership, say, and psychological safety? Isn't it amazing how psychological safety comes up so much in all of our conversations? 
Yes, is the answer. Of course there is. It's the root of everything. It's the core of everything. I know we keep saying psychological safety is not the destination. It's one of the vehicles that we use to create a positive, inclusive environment. But there is a link. And with compassionate leadership having emphasis on employee well-being, positive job attitudes and so on, it of course does have a positive impact on psychological safety and how we experience the environment and therefore how safe we feel. I'm sure some of our listeners would love to hear exactly how we as leaders, as, as colleagues, team members can demonstrate compassionate leadership to our teams. Yeah, sure. I think there's four steps that we've been researching. The first one is to attend to and be observant of what's happening around you. So it means being present, showing interest, being curious and making sure that you ask questions and that you are observant of what's happening in the people around you. The next one is to really understand through that questioning, try to understand what's happening from the other person's perspective. Rather than running in with a solution, running in with a judgment, don't assume that you have the answers. It's probably likely that you don't have any of the answers. The individual needs to find them, but just show understanding. Don't show understanding on a superficial way, but truly try to understand and then connect with it, empathize. So really important thing around personal connection is recognizing and understanding what that means for somebody. And so really, truly understanding the frustrations or the anxieties to really get to the heart of that problem and then offer support. So four steps, attend, understand, empathize and support. There's a question I'd love to know personally. How do leaders feel about self-compassion as part of a vital set of traits or skills? Considering our research has shown that the strengths of compassion, being attentive, for example, which are emotional intelligence strengths, are less energizing for many leaders. I know. It's so interesting, isn't it, that our strengths research with thousands of leaders around the world found that the attentive, compassionate, modest strengths and harmonizer strengths are some of the least preferred strengths, so least energizing strengths for, for many leaders around the world. And they're the strengths that they're truly critical for compassionate leadership. But compassionate leadership is a skill, actually. It's great if it's also a strength, if it's something that energizes someone, but it's a skill. So there is a gap. So we have to change hearts and minds. I actually don't like that saying, but I'm going to use it. We have to change the hearts and minds. We have to help leaders understand and recognize the importance of it because there are profound impacts of not being a compassionate leader. And then we need to help them change the skill. If we help them change the skill, talking about the neuroplasticity as we did earlier, if we change the behavior, what we will do is we'll start to learn that new behavior through the plasticity. We'll start to feel good because of the link with happiness and the fact that we're activating some of those happiness areas of the brain and we'll be more likely then to participate in compassionate behaviors moving forward. So it is interesting. It means that we have to work harder, I think, Christian, in encouraging leaders to come on workshops entitled Compassionate Leadership to listen to podcasts like this rather than just thinking, eh, I'll put it to the bottom of the pile. I don't need that. I'll just tell them what to do. Do you have some tips on how we can be more compassionate as leaders? Yeah, don't tell them what to do. <laughs> yeah, just don't do that. No, I think you have to start with yourself. I mean, we've already talked about attend, understand, empathize and support. But actually, we need to start with ourselves. We need to start with a little bit of self-compassion. And that's why we're publishing a podcast on self-compassion, which we'll be following. 
So we need to be kind to ourselves and we need, as Dr. Kristen Neff talks about, we need that fierce and tender compassion that we'll be referring to in the next podcast. So we both need to be kind to ourselves, which is tender. And we also need to be tough with ourselves to actually hold ourselves to account and to ask those tricky questions of ourselves. And we need to refrain from being judgmental. We need to reflect on what's our intention when we go into conversations. Do we have an ulterior motive? Are we thinking about it from our own lens, our own perspective? Or are we truly putting the other person at the center and first? And we've already mentioned that if we could do a little bit of self-compassion on a daily basis and we could be an ally to ourselves and practice some of those behaviors, we could also do the same for others. And so we can turn that behavior into a habit, into a little micro habit, and how fantastic we could feel a little bit happier as a result. This leads me to think about a company that are actually implementing compassionate leadership across their whole organization and why they're doing that. I'd like to talk about the global software company, SAP. SAP has implemented a number of programs and initiatives to promote self-compassion and well-being among its employee base. So, for example, the company has a mindfulness program called Inner Peace, which provides employees with resources and tools and strategies to help them manage stress and improve their emotional resilience. I thought this was really wonderful. And additionally, SAP has created a wellness ambassadors program where employees can receive support and resources to help them achieve their personal goals in terms of wellness and health. They also implemented a mental health champions program, which trains employees to be advocates for mental health and provides them with the skills and the knowledge to support their colleagues who might be struggling as well with mental health issues. So by investing in these kinds of programs and initiatives that promote self-compassion and well-being, I was just really impressed about how this company was demonstrating its commitment to creating a supportive and caring workplace culture. And it can have numerous benefits, can't it? Including employee engagement, productivity, improved job satisfaction, retention, and a more positive overall company culture. That's great, isn't it? No wonder they're proud of it and talking about it in Forbes. Interestingly, that they related compassionate leadership to their wellness, mental health and well-being agenda as well, which is really what we want, isn't it? We want the whole thing to be connected, not for compassionate leadership solutions to be in isolation because they really do have an impact on those things. We're now coming to the end of the podcast and I've been reflecting on the last conversation that we all have different strengths and skills and that we cannot be great at everything all of the time. We need to be compassionate to a person's situation, experience, and also the context by checking in with that person, with those people, and attending, caring, and empathizing, showing understanding and offering support. Yeah, and it does really show that some individuals will naturally be more compassionate. They have more of a compassionate gene. They may have learned better skills over time around compassion, and then it has been embedded more effectively as a behavior. They may have learned it from previous leaders themselves and seen great behavior and role modeled that behavior. So it is a good point that some people are going to be better at this. But I think the key is that we all have the capacity to be a compassionate leader. 
and that there are some very simple steps and some very simple skills that we can learn that will actually, by learning, help us to feel happier ourselves. And I think the four words I think were the most powerful from the research in this podcast is the need to attend, to empathize, to understand and to support our colleagues. If we do those four things, then we're really going to be operating more as compassionate leaders, which will result in plasticity and learning will keep our brains young and healthy. So that's pretty good. Thank you to Laura Moody for your excellent research in this podcast. Uh, And a final thank you to you, Amanda, too. Thank you. As we mentioned, we are running compassionate leadership workshops with our clients. So if you'd like further information, please feel free to contact us at hello at btalent.com. Thank you, Christian. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you have a successful and wonderful day. But before we go, Sarah asked me to mention the fact that once a month within Zircon, we host a virtual people musing session. Each month is a different topic. It's usually a Wednesday. It's usually 5 p.m. And what we do is we share about 15 minutes of research that we've conducted on the topic. This month it was on imposter syndrome. And then as a group, we have a conversation about that topic and the impact on industry, on people, on teams and leaders and so on. We have anything between 10 to as many as 30 HR, business psychology, talent type people turn up to those sessions. They're open to anyone who's interested in the topic. If you are interested in getting involved and spending an hour with us talking about these areas that we're talking to our clients about and just airing and debating these psychological concepts and terms, please email hello at btalent.com and put the title as People Musing and Sarah Linton, my co-director, will invite you along and put you on the mailing list.